You're listening to Life, the Universe, and Everything Else. Today on the show, save us from saving Christmas! Life, the Universe, and Everything Else explores issues of science, critical thinking, and secular humanism. If you have questions or comments about the show, or you'd like to suggest a topic, you can find us on Twitter or Facebook, or send us an email at lueepodcast at winnipegskeptics.com. Show notes and references can be found at lueepodcast.com. I'm your host today, Ashley Noble, and with me we have our glorious panel, Jam Newman. Hello. Laura Creek Newman. Hi there. Lauren Bailey. Hello. And special guest, Dave Bonwick. Hello. Uh, today we all sat down to watch Kirk Cameron's Saving Christmas. Why? <laughs> None of us did it particularly willingly. It was a listener request. It was a listener request. Someone asked us to do this, and we like our fans somewhat. Not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Much less now. <laughs> so we took the plunge and watched a movie that has a, not surprising, 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. It has, what, 1.7 stars on uh, IMDb? So, so for, for context, that means it performed worse with critics than The Room. You are tearing me apart, Lisa! Troll 2. And on par with the Emoji Movie. There's nothing about you I find tantalizing. On the contrary, I find you obvious and vulgar. Um, it, it did worse than both versions of Left Behind, both the Kirk Cameron one and the Nicolas Cage one that uh, that we watched for the show. And uh, of course, its poor reception uh, is blamed by Kirk Cameron on an atheist conspiracy. <laughs> I think they blew it all on the sweater budget. <laughs> The arguments were completely nonsensical and did not even follow from one to the other. Uh, I think Jem mentioned it was like a toddler just making every single argument. Well, yeah, like you can tell when somebody is not arguing in good faith, when they're not building a case from a cogent uh, progression of arguments. They are just throwing everything at the wall Hopefully one of these things will convince you. Or they're Kirk Cameron. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and you wanted to start by discussing the poster. <laughs> the poster is great. Best uh, part of the movie. <laughs> absolutely. Can we air quotes that great, please? <laughs> <laughs> it is super weird. Um, so, first of all, if you look at it and you're familiar with movie posters from, like, uh, the 90s, it is very clearly a direct ripoff of the poster for Last Action Hero. Did you yes. guys notice this? I yeah. absolutely I am not that. familiar with yeah, that. Here, let, let, me, let me pull up uh, Last Never even Action heard of Hero poster. Oh, it's, awesome. it's, a, it's a Schwarzenegger movie. Oh, I've heard of it, but I don't know it. Wow, that is that such a ripoff. I don't, that doesn't surprise me. Holy cow. Yeah, so so here you have Schwarzenegger swinging in with a big foot in the foreground uh, with a kid under his arm. And uh, then with the Saving Christmas poster, you have uh, Kirk Cameron swinging in with... Okay, with okay. Candy cane so I'm, I'm gonna... I'm gonna, gonna... <laughs> so this, this poster sports <laughs> an awkwardly photoshopped... <laughs> 
Like, oh boy, like, his body proportions are all pretty weird. An awkwardly photoshopped Kirk Cameron doing his best Chuck Norris impression uh, while leaping clear of a Christmas explosion, clutching a glowing sphere that appears to show a sepia-toned manger scene, and threatening to beat the viewer to death with a giant candy cane. So I was trying to come up with, like, some interpretation of, like, what, what the meaning behind this poster is. Like, clearly it's just, like, let's rip off a poster so we don't have to come up with an idea ourselves. Like, there are presents flying everywhere. And money. And money. Well, it's the prosperity well, they, gospel. It, the, yeah. I, I, I look clearly at the poster. Every single argument he makes in the movie is represented on the poster. <laughs> His big argument in the movie yeah. is about the manger scene in the snow globe. So that would stand to reason that that's what he is... Shoving in your face. Oh, that's a that's the snow, snow globe. globe. Oh, yeah. Okay, so, so, I was looking oh, I thought at you it. Knew that I thought it was like a crystal globe. ball or something. No, 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 so I was thinking. It's the snow globe. I was thinking we've got our bearded Kirk Cameron who got who just got word that the secularists have taken Christ out of Christmas by literally trapping baby Jesus in like a crystal <laughs> ball. So Kirk <laughs> broke into your home, planted a bomb under your Christmas tree, and then mm-hmm. rescued Savior in the greatest caper ever. Told. I would watch that movie. That is a that's much better movie. <laughs> <laughs> it is pure meaningless chaos. This this poster is just Kurt Cameron threatening to beat the Christmas spirit into me with a candy cane. And that's pretty much what he did to his brother-in-law in yeah. the movie. Oh, okay, so like this does seem like it really does look like Kurt Cameron is threatening to beat you with with a, a candy cane, which is obviously shaped like a shepherd's crook, right? But that actually does kind of get addressed in the film when St. Nicholas beats a guy to death, maybe? <laughs> I thought he was just going to slap it. Do we want to start at the beginning? Yeah, okay. Why don't we... Do you want to do a plot synopsis? Sure. So... Wait, there was a plot? When? (laughs) I missed that. Damn it. You were upstairs. I know. I was gone for 15 minutes putting a kid to bed and I missed the plot. There's barely a plot. Like, you can really feel the movie, like, them trying to stretch the movie out to its full 79-minute running time. Well, we had a beautiful, like, eight minutes of bloopers at the end and eight minutes of dance scenes. So, yeah. you know. <laughs> but at the beginning, so we open with like a classic scene of Kirk Cameron sitting by the fire drinking hot chocolate. He's really into hot chocolate, you guys, like more than me, and I really like hot chocolate. <laughs> He's not drinking hot chocolate, though. He's miming drinking hot chocolate. <laughs> he talks about hot chocolate a lot. So there's a fire, and stockings are hung by the chimney with care, and there's a, you know, a gigantic Christmas tree, and everything is so beautiful and Christmassy, and he talks about how those people are trying to convince us that Christmas is just made up of other people's traditions. And uh, what did he say at one point? Like, next they'll be telling us that hot chocolate was invented by the Druids. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And Laura's like, the Mayan! No, that was Mesoamericans. (laughs) Once we're done with that, I I began to believe that the whole movie was just going to be Kirk Cameron lecturing us from in front of the fire. Yeah, from like what looks like a cheap mall Santa set. Yeah, with his winter scruff. But then we transition into a different scene that looks like a mall Santa set. This movie starts three different times. <laughs> <laughs> so it looks exactly like you would expect a, you know, a lineup of children to see Santa. And it looks like it's in a mall. Turns out this is just their f***ing living room. <laughs> <laughs> It seems like that first segment was, like, a commercial for the movie. And then they're like, oh, no, we need to stick that in, too, because we, we still haven't hit our runtime. It was special. <laughs> so everything in this movie is, is shot handheld, like really shaky cam. Cinema verite. And the shot composition is always super weird. Like, 
we have like a a dirty two shot of Kirk and I think his sister in the movie having a conversation. Not his real sister. And uh, and then she leaves the frame, and so Kirk is stuck stranded on the left hand side of the frame. And then it cuts to a very slightly wider shot with essentially the same composition, except Kirk is like half out of the frame and he's partially blocked by an out-of-focus poinsettia. And they hold that for like a second and then they cut away. They're trying to show off the counter, which is nothing, you know, extraordinary or special. But they have the the best kitchen. It was a beautiful, beautiful kitchen. There's two two giant double-door stainless steel fridges. Yeah, and a wine fridge. Yeah, full-size wine fridge. It's empty. (laughs) They had wine at the dinner at the end, so maybe they do drink wine. I don't know. It was hard to pay attention at this point because uh, Huxley was constantly making for the TV and trying to to mute the sound. (laughs) And we thanked him a little bit on the inside, but then we realized what we had to do tonight. (laughs) (laughs) The part of the movie that made me the angriest. (laughs) Uh, So the sister is telling Kirk how her husband has just not been into Christmas this year. What's her husband's name, Ashlyn? Christian. His name is Christian. That's right. Kirk Cameron needs to teach Christian how to celebrate Christmas again. Very important. So he, he's just not into it. And he's disappeared from the party. So Kirk Cameron takes it upon himself to go hunt him down to harass him because he needed a break from the party. <laughs> and he's like, it, look, if somebody wants to be left alone at a Christmas party... <laughs> Kirk starts the sentence, and everybody in the room shouts, Leave him alone! He wants to be left alone, leave him alone! Yeah, so he looks all through the house, and he finds the one creature who's sleeping. (laughs) (laughs) He finds the one guy who's always, you know, sitting by himself, and leaves him alone, because I guess he's into Christmas, so that's fine if he wants to be on his own. Uh, and then eventually makes his way outside, and he's he keeps talking about how like well if this was a story how would it, and he's talking about how we get to choose in a story whether we're the heroes or the villains or the wise man or the fool and uh, and so the whole sort of I guess idea of the film is let's tell a story as if we are if we want to be in the story and we want to make the best outcome. So, By the way, we all made different choices on those. options than Kirk Cameron did, apparently. Uh, So if this was a story, apparently, the Christian would be in the car. And so he goes out into the car and he finds the guy in his car. And instead of leaving him the hell alone, which is what any normal, decent person would do, Kirk Cameron gets into the car and... Or just saying, hey, dude, you need to talk? You want to talk? (laughs) No? Okay, I'll leave you alone. (laughs) No, but the best part of the movie is when he got into the car, and then they started having sloppy makeouts, and that was it for the next 90 minutes. (laughs) It really looked like they were going to at one point. (laughs) The camera cut back to them, and they were, like, leaning really close to each other. (laughs) So, Lauren, did you fall asleep for a little while? (laughs) (laughs) I think I went mad. (laughs) (laughs) They have, like, a 20-minute conversation of just, like, swapping back and forth shots of these two dudes talking. It's so boring. We started having a totally unrelated conversation during the first part of it because none of us could pay attention. It was really boring and it was, there were really long pauses between it. It was definitely not a conversation. Like I said, it was like lecture style. It's the kind of thing that a prof would do speaking to a class as opposed to speaking to another human being, just two people in a car. And as we're ta- if we're talking about shot composition, this one did have, they did seem to have something like steadying the, the yep. camera. Maybe they had it on the... They finally hood. found their tripod. Two. 
because it was set up with a double shot, but it was set up with a composition of like a uh, the three camera setup from sitcoms as opposed to a movie setup. You think it was actually a multi camera setup? Yeah, <laughs> they're not just moving it. They they didn't they didn't do that twice. That yeah, was I, a, gu- I guess that two cameras is cheaper yeah. than multiple takes. That was uh, a multi camera setup. I guess I'm assuming they're yeah, paying, their especially actors, in the so. rain. No, it was all their families. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no. it was clearly family. So uh, Christian's argument is he doesn't like Christmas because it's not really about Jesus. It's about the presents and stuff. And the kids just want the presents and the people just want their Santa Claus and their tree. And none of that's in the Bible. And Kirk and I Cam- think we're all with him at that point. Yeah, yeah. sure. Uh, and Kirk Cameron is like, well, you're wrong. Everything you said, totally wrong. Yeah, and this isn't even us paraphrasing. That's literally what he said to the guy. Everything you said is wrong. <laughs> and then a pause for... Five seconds. This is not what Christmas is all about. I hear you. I get it. My man. But this is all wrong. This is all wrong. No. You're all wrong. You know, and then again, several of us were like, okay, get out of my car. (laughs) Instead of doing that, this guy was like, oh, okay. (laughs) Please tell me more. So strange. Come into my house. Come into my car. Insult me. This movie is Kirk Cameron lectures Christians for not celebrating Christmas the way Kirk Cameron wants them to. Yep. Yeah, essentially. He's he's not saving Christmas from, like, the war on Christmas waged by the atheists. He's kind of, like, I guess tacitly admitting that atheists and secularists have already won, and that Christians have bought into their arguments, I guess. And he's saving Christmas from the Christians who don't like stuffing and turkey and and, and Christmas trees. He's mostly just justifying, you know, the Christmas trees and the shopping and the presents and the materialism... And the turkey and the ham for some reason. So that is legitimately my favorite argument. And, like, Ashlyn mentioned earlier that they're... Like, none of this movie makes any sense. None of the arguments hang together at all. But one of the things that is charming about it, aside from the two main actors, like, honestly, like, Kirk Cameron, like, he's a smug jackass this whole movie, but he does have an on-screen presence. Like, he's got a bit of charisma. Like, honestly... I, I did not get I, that from I, this movie at all. I find him charming. All I got from you know? him was some growing pains. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and uh, the the director, who I believe plays his brother-in-law, I also, like, he, I don't know, yeah, I got kind of a Saul Rubinick vibe from him a little bit. And I, mean, I got Harold Much Brimus. less talented. See, but... I kind of liked him until the whole Santa equals Satan thing, and then it just <laughs> fell right off the table for She's me. not kidding. But, it actually but... happens. <laughs> That's the guy, Santa. That's obliterated Jesus. Jesus is gone. The reason for the season is Santa Claus. What the kids are saying all across the world is not, I'm so excited to celebrate the birth of Jesus. No, they're saying, I'm so excited to get my picture taken with Santa Claus. Oh, you can make me presents. S-A-N-T-A. Rearrange letters. Satan. Santa. Satan. Same letters. Right? Right. Coincidence? Yeah, this is a grade school level arguments we're talking about. But <laughs> the thing that I like is at least the arguments were novel. It's not just rehashing the exact same apologetics that, you know, get trotted out every year. Yeah, it, the, it the was movie interesting. had nothing to do with the Bible, honestly. Like, I liked the... <laughs> 
So Kirk Cameron's like he he is whining about other Christians whining about the materialism of Christmas, and his argument is ah, but you see, Christmas is the celebration of when God made Himself material. So materialism's a okay. Yeah. <laughs> yes. The it's best argument. Pretty oh. horrendous. Oh, Where okay. there was the freestyle rap about um, fluoride and chemtrails. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was some. Uh, there was uh, a, a, a wh- white guy doing rap behind a coffee cup. Behind a coffee cup, presumably, so that they could dub in the rap in post. Um, well, they were. He was having a conversation with another person. Both of them behind coffee cups because they're all and distinctly facing the camera. Yeah, on couches at a ninety degree angle to each other. Oh, sure. How they would have? It was yeah. straight up filler. Yeah, it was, it was it, like I think it was intended as comic relief, but it made no sense. Um, and it really sort of implied that everything that they were talking about was on the same level as the most ridiculous conspiracy theories. Right. So, so this this white guy rapping was rapping about conspiracy theories and like the the fact that the war on Christmas is a result of chemtrails and the government stealing everybody's Christmas trees and putting them in Area 52. Mm-hmm. It was weird because it did seem to present the war on Christmas as equally ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. And there, there was nothing that they said that contradicted that idea. Back to the car. Right. Um, Still making out. <laughs> no. Still no. Uh, the first of Kirk Cameron's arguments get presented. And... I think this was a swaddling cloth thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we oh. were just waiting for it to have something to do with what Christian's argument was. It did not. Okay, Christian. To, to paraphrase, Christian's argument is there's not enough Jesus because Jesus and the little nativity scene is in the corner, and the giant Christmas tree is the centerpiece. Oh, see, that's, I didn't. That's his argument. Okay. You were the okay. only one paying attention. To yeah, that. sorry. Yeah, I, I was in the, I was closest that. to the TV. It was just it was, it was a terrible thing. So yeah. <laughs> So Kirk starts talking about how if we take everything out of the nativity scene, which now is in a cave and a stone manger, because they're sacrificing Jesus. I don't know. And we take away Mary, and we take away Joseph, and we take away all the animals, and then we take away the baby Jesus. But he says, "Don't panic. (laughs) (laughs) I'm gonna bring him back. Don't worry. (laughs) Don't call the cops." Interject. That was one of my favorite parts of this movie because that was a cartoon. (laughs) <laughs> the whole nativity scene going through and then going to the different places and then just like putting up no vacancy signs like little cartoon characters holding up literally holding up signs was awesome and terribly entertaining if you re- I read the credits and that cartoon was from 2008 this movie was tw- from 2014 huh. so that was another so movie just, that was just like an insert oh. <laughs> drop that in Okay. At least they credited it. <laughs> anyway, if you take away all that, what you're left with is the cloth that Jesus was swaddled in. And this is important because it's foreshadowing for when Jesus dies and the shroud is put around him and then he gets raised up out of the dead and there's cloth in both things. And if you're looking at it from with the eye of a weaver, it's really, really <laughs> linen. <laughs> well, it looks like cheesecloth, yeah, really. It is like, not like, good cloth. Why are you wrapping a baby in this? Also, when I imagine... like 2,000 years ago. <laughs> if I imagine taking... Uh, okay, okay, fine, sure. Whatever. <laughs> if I imagine taking a character out of a scene, I don't leave their clothes behind. 
Unless like, they're making of... out in the car with their brother-in-law. <laughs> but, like, none of the, like, Mary and Joseph's clothes didn't stay back in the scene, but but geez, we're supposed to imagine just the baby, but not his his blanket being wrapped around him was gone from the scene? Like, why would there, if there wasn't a baby in the scene, why would there be a cloth in a manger? We usually only think of the baby Jesus being wrapped in cloths. But the Bible brings these cloths back into the story one more time. At his tomb, when they rolled that stone away. The cloth in the tomb was empty because it could not hold the body wrapped inside. Jesus escaped death as a baby by the hand of God, and he conquered death as an adult by that very same hand. And because that cloth could not hold him, death still cannot win. I was the only one who was paying attention during Left Behind. That's what happens when you're raptured. <laughs> Please don't quote Neil He wasn't raptured, he just took him away. So yeah, that argument left us all being, except Dave apparently, being like, what does that have to do with anything this guy said? Yeah, like literally every baby... Is swaddled. And literally and every dead guy so, is swaddled and put in the ground for two, three so days. Well, so, but the, the argument is that with the cloth not being able to hold Jesus being dead... Oh, I forgot how the rest of that went. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty good synopsis of how this whole movie goes. Wait, it seems like all the characters <laughs> It seems like all the characters stop paying attention to their own arguments halfway through. Well, okay, and then when we get back to the car, Christian goes... Oh, okay, I never thought of it like that. And he's not being sarcastic. <laughs> but wasn't that the naked tree thing? Or was that a different argument? I think uh, he just different... says that after everything. Yeah, yeah. that was a different argument. So what was the next bizarre thing? It was he... the tree. The, the tree, tree. The, next tree. Tree. Yep. the tree was amazing. The, yeah, there's Anybody no... else want to handle that one? Okay, okay. So, <laughs> the tree is in the Bible. Well, because... first... Christian says, but what, the tree, you can't, you know, tree lots, there's no tree lots in the Bible, right? There's no trees in there. You go through blah, blah, blah. There's no trees. So answer me that, riddle me that. Batman. The greatest tree lot of them all, the Garden of Eden. <laughs> Let's yeah. go back to the beginning. And there were two important trees. <laughs> yep. Uh, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Okay. So the way it's presented is Adam stole a fruit from the tree. Oh, no. He only ate it. They never mentioned how we got it. Well, so Kirk says, Adam stole something. And when you steal something, what do you have to do? You have to give it back. But Adam couldn't put it back because he'd eaten it. It had become part of him. The only way he could make up for that is to, to himself hang himself on the tree. The like, okay. Now, Adam didn't do that. But Jesus who was the last Adam, did. He hung himself on a tree. Jesus was God's blessed fruit hung on his blessed tree. Well, bless that. So, so that, Christmas that, trees are decorated with ornamental fruit because Jesus. Yeah, Jesus hanging on the cross is a Christmas ornament. And they have a shot with a tree lot, and in the middle of it is a big shining cross. And I don't know about you, but if I walked into a tree lot and I just saw a big illuminated cross in the middle of it, I'm booking it. <laughs> well, even the framing of that shot with it all from behind the, the little kid there, I'm not sure if they were trying to insinuate that the kid was, like, on the cross, but, like, for most of that scene, they don't show the whole cross. They just kind of show, like, framing outside of it. I was kind of half expecting if they cut to the side, there'd actually be a guy on it. 
No. <laughs> Nails are expensive. Yes. Did anybody write down that whole sequence of when you see a tree, see a cross, and when you see the cross, see Jesus, and when you see Jesus, run and like run and tell, things. run and tell everybody that Although, Christ is risen or whatever. Go tell an identity call the police. So when you see empty Christmas trees, see an empty cross. And when you see the empty cross, see the empty cloths lying in an empty tomb. And when you see an empty tomb, do what the disciples did. Turn and run to tell the story that Jesus is alive. So something interesting that Laura pointed out, a a lot of these arguments are not fully formed. And in fact, uh, what would frequently happen is Christian would stammer out some form. It seems like a lot of this movie was like (laughs) ad-libbed. Christian would stammer out some form of an argument, you know, saying, well, this is from paganism, or this isn't really found in the Bible, or whatever. And Kirk would just say, uh-huh, yeah. And the Pause fact... for a really long time. The oh, fact that they, the had, with his eyebrow. that they had mentioned it meant that it had been addressed, so I guess don't worry about it anymore, is the TV trope of hanging the lampshade on something. Hey, isn't it weird how this always seems to happen? Yeah, that is weird. Oh, well. (laughs) (laughs) Done talking about that now. (laughs) But Laura pointed out, Kirk made this argument about, sure, yeah, we celebrate Christmas around the winter solstice, even though we don't know when Jesus was born. But last I checked, God created the winter solstice. Yeah. And Laura was like, yeah, but that's not the winter solstice in, like, Brazil. (laughs) <laughs> or in the Southern Hemisphere, like this argument that Kirk makes is that uh, the winter solstice is a is a good time to celebrate this because that's when winter is at its darkest, when we're most in need of light. That's when we're granted hope, when winter begins to recede, you know, whole rebirth metaphor. Like, this is kind of where winter solstice celebrations are thought to have come from. But that only makes sense if you assume a rather provincial outlook, <laughs> like those of the pagans that Kirk is so concerned about. Almighty God would probably realize that the winter solstice in the northern hemisphere is the summer solstice in the southern hemisphere. So it doesn't make sense. That argument does not hang together if you're thinking about a god who is the god of everybody. Especially for a story that apparently takes place in an equatorial land. Yeah, I I mean, this is one of my big frustrations with this whole movie, and I'm sure it is for you all as well. But Kirk Cameron's view of what Christmas really is is a very white American middle class kind of Christmas. It's not, it doesn't oh, take yeah. into account anybody else's Christmas, and even less so Christmas of the peoples from the place where Christmas is supposed to have happened. Like, he completely discounts that. He doesn't seem to care that their culture and customs might be different than his. He only cares that his way is right, and mm-hmm. his very specific way is right. So so every argument he makes just draws right back to that. And it's just really frustrating, because I guess he might argue that, well, Christmas was brought to other places, like, say, South America. So it, it didn't originate there, so, you know, they should be doing it a different way. I'm not saying he's doing this, and I'm not saying he should do this, but I guess you could argue that. However, places that started celebrating Christmas well before his ancestors did were doing it different than than his ancestors did. So he does not have a leg to stand on. And it is so infuriating. I feel like he actually, he stops short of saying 
the way that other people celebrate Christmas is wrong. It seems like he's more trying to say the way that I celebrate Christmas is okay. Like he's trying to justify it rather than saying it's the only right way, which I guess is kind of a saving grace of it. Well, yeah, like, and the way he celebrates Christmas is pretty close to the way I celebrate Christmas. I was just going to say to Ashlyn, is that the biggest thing, celebrate with the biggest ham. Yeah, it's okay for him to celebrate like that, but he was making a point at the end that it should be the biggest ham, and it should be the most presents, and it should be. So he really, at the end, or, you know, 20 minutes before the end of the movie, (laughs) he was really hammering down that, yes, you should be doing this. You should be doing the Santa yeah, thing. That is the you last should argument, be. Yeah. You know, so earlier than that, yeah. yeah, halfway through the movie, he's just kind of like, you know, well, this is how it does actually relate to the Bible. So, okay, I guess if you really want to follow that windy, unstable path, go for it, <laughs> right? But at the end, it's kind of like, no, if you're not having the biggest ham on that table, you're not doing Christmas right. You are not doing Jesus justice. It does seem like he, he, he makes that turn from don't feel bad about flaunting your wealth at Christmas time right into like you should I think he mentions bring out the richest butter um, you know bring out your best silverware like what about people who don't have silverware they don't exist in the prosperity gospel yeah right if you were worthy you would have silverware yeah. we skipped over Saint Nicholas and I don't want to. <laughs> So, so Christian, they're they're still sitting in this car. <laughs> it's raining outside. And we don't think that that was. We think it just actually started raining. Okay, wait, wait. So here's the thing: they're in California, right? Yeah. They're all wearing sweaters. Mm-hmm. They're all like there's People fake snow on everything. I know they do, but here's the thing. Okay, they're celebrating a, a really wintry kind of Christmas in a tropical place mm-hmm. with snow all over the place. So. What? What? It doesn't have to be internally consistent, Laura. But why? So That's so why is he ascribing this very northern climate kind of Christmas to a place that is not a northern climate at all? Because he can force his wills on the environment and have the type of Christmas he wants, even if the pine trees are palm trees. Oh. Yeah. St. So, Nicholas. So they're still sitting in the car. <laughs> uh, what about Santa. Yeah. There's so no Santa in the Bible. Christian says there's no Santa in the Bible. And Kirk, and Kirk finally says, you know what? You're right. See, and I thought they were going to go a totally different direction. And I started saying, well, they're going to talk about the wise men because that's in the Bible. And that at least is something that I feel is more logical than talking about the freaking babies swaddling. But no, they didn't go there at all. No, they went to uh, they went to the uh, Council of Nicaea where St. Nicholas... Good time, good time. Yeah. <laughs> where uh, St. Nicholas, a very angry looking dude uh, who is framed like he's in a horror film... Uh, marches in angrily to find, you know, a fellow theologian making an argument that Jesus, rather than making a Trinitarian argument where Jesus is one with the Father and the Holy Spirit, is saying that Jesus is essentially just the Son of God. He's a man. And, of course, this enrages St. Nicholas. And Kirk Cameron says, you know, we have his narration over all of these little vignettes, which all have just a few characters in them played by the same people who are in his Christmas party because they didn't want to pay actors. It is like the worst version of Blade Runner. With, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I I would rather have this movie narrated by Harrison Ford. But So Kirk Cameron says that uh, St. Nicholas struck 
this uh, this other uh, clergy person with his hand. Played by the rapper. And in, yeah, the, the white rapper. But, it, like, in the vignette that we're seeing, you see, like, full closed fist, Zack Snyder-directed, like, uh, heavy punch to the face that fells this guy. And I'm like, oh, man, okay, cool. That looked kind of cool. But then... But then he drags him off and continues beating him, and we get an extended sequence of... Uh, I counted three hits with the uh, Shepherd's Crook. Like, like St. Nicholas apparently beating this man to death, including a finale with him skewering him with a Shepherd's Crook? This segment was guest-directed by Mel Gibson. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, that had to have affected their rating. Kirk Cameron lovingly shows our hero Santa Claus beating a guy to death because they disagreed on a minor point of theology, and he presents this as a justified response. Like, like on one hand, I do kind of want an entire Zack Snyder-esque movie about St. Nicholas beating clergy people to death when he disagrees <laughs> with them, because it was a hilarious sequence that was kind of awesome in how over-the-top and unexpected it was, but also it's legitimately terrifying that Kirk Cameron thinks... He he calls this, so he says, St. Nicholas didn't stay quiet for the sake of political correctness. So, Kirk Cameron is framing this disagreement about political correctness as... What you uh, should do to people who say happy holidays. Th that they should be, that that sort of political correctness should be challenged with this kind of violence. Mm -hmm. And especially, you know, three years later, in 2017, that is even more... Terrifying. Kirk Cameron did set up and state explicitly before that this whole thing was that St. Nicholas was a bad guy. He does state mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And then he went into a clear description of why he was a bad guy. But he was rich. Well, he said, like, bad... Didn't he say, like, bad dude? I, mean, I bad don't know, dude. like, maybe bad it hombre? was... <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> um, but he was rich... And he was he donated a bunch of money to kids. Yeah, awful. awful but the dude. the part the whole disturbing part of that is after he beat the guy to death, um, then he goes back to his slave girl, um, and uh, says, that, "Look, let's go to the to the kids." And they're all happy, and they're giving stuff away, and they're doing the whole Santa thing, which was just. I, I don't think he watched the shepherd's group in between. <laughs> It really did see, like, regardless of whether or not it, uh, St. Nicholas was being framed as, like, a bad guy or, you know, like, a badass dude, Kirk Cameron explicitly stated that in that time and place, this reaction was justified. <laughs> Which uh, is troubling, given the way people are targeting those they see as politically correct today. Mm-hmm. Well, there was lots of auto-tuning at the end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We had, like, a ten-minute dance sequence. Oh, but you're, you're skipping the, other, the next argument. Okay. After, I believe there was all the arguments in the truck. Okay, yeah. And then... He's seen the Christmas light. He's seen the light. They, they go back into the party. Already has to be humbled. Yes, and he's got this, the great introduction of throwing the doors open with the light behind him and the dust going off his sweater and then diving into the Christmas presents. Like he's on a slip and like fly. Like he's sliding into him, yeah. <laughs> and then they stop, and they look. It's like, you have to look at the presents from the angle of a child. Right. And it's like... And see how it's <laughs> the, the, the little of a square, city. and it's like a city skyscape. Like, 
And then they draw over it with little white, like, uh, sketching to draw out the buildings. Because, you know, ancient Middle Eastern towns were known for their skyscrapers, right? And God cares for all people. So the presents represent all of the cities full of people that God loves. Oh, I missed that argument. Boxes are shaped like boxes. (laughs) (laughs) But I I just love the drawing because I expected them to just, like, stop. But then they just kept drawing more and more detailed and more foreground on the over top of the boxes. Mm-hmm. It was a very beautiful present cityscape by the time they were done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so he's looking up at this cityscape at the base of the tree, and he's seeing the tree as the cross full of the Jesus fruit. <laughs> <laughs> and and then the dancing starts. Oh God, the dancing starts. <laughs> well, right, because he goes to his wife and he apologizes for being so surly because he's now seen the light and seen how great Christmas is. And so what he did as a, I'm so sorry, honey, I love you. I'm sorry I was such a grouch on Christmas is I organized a hip hop dance off just right now. <laughs> yeah, like Kirk Cameron's uh, like narration is like, you might expect him to kiss here, but instead we're going to drop the bass. <laughs> because he's got to kiss his brother-in-law in the truck. <laughs> Enough. <laughs> but yeah, then they do a lot of dancing for a really long time, and the whole rest of the household is watching, and there's one kid in the front that is really <laughs> uninterested, and he is the best part of that whole scene. I mean, there's some talent. There's At least one of the dancers was very talented. But blue shirt kid, I feel ya. Oh yeah, that was all of us sitting there going, I know, we all have to wait till this is done too. And you'd think, you'd think that uh, a wordless dance scene that goes on for a long time would be a perfect opportunity to throw some credits up there, but no, that would shorten our runtime and we still haven't got to 70 minutes yet, so... And there's still 20 minutes to go. <laughs> oh. So... The, the final argument after the dance scene is everybody sits down to Christmas dinner. And as we've been saying before, you know, you should get out your richest butter and your best silverware and the biggest ham. They specifically say the biggest <laughs> ham. Uh, nothing about turkey. Well, eventually well, they turkey. do talk about yeah, turkey, but, you should, but the ham is the, you the should forefront. specifically celebrate Jesus the Jew with a giant ham. Yeah. <laughs> yep. um, but all of this is because Jesus died. And he came back in a material body. So it is appropriate to celebrate Jesus with material things. Yeah. Direct quote. (laughs) Direct quote. Many material things as you can fit on the table. All of them. All the material things. I did not think that they would get that explicit. There was more talk about hot chocolate. Yeah. (laughs) Several times. So they interrupted the credits. There was a mid-credit sequence. Unfortunately, no Samuel L. Jackson. What was the mid-credit sequence? I don't even remember. Was that the rap? No. No, no, it was was before the bloopers. Was it the meal? I don't know. No, No. there was, there was something, it was Was just a conversation between two people, a really short, maybe it was the old guy, I don't know. There was some short, like, mid-credit sequence, then, then more credits, and then they cut to just, like, bloopers. But it wasn't, like, funny bloopers. They were the takes of the things that we didn't see. Well, there were there were a few there were a few they, actual bloopers like yeah. like mistakes, but it was just like no, we have to use every single take we shot because we only shot a total of 90 minutes of film for this 80 minute movie. Mm-hmm. And in one of the bloopers, the director does say, "It's digital. Keep filming as much as you can." <laughs> <laughs> we have this house for four more hours. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they rented it on an hourly basis. You don't think that was actually just like Kirk Cameron's house? I kind of feel that's what I was basing my opinion on, yeah. Or the other guy's house, the director slash brother-in-law. Yeah. 
maybe. But yeah, the entirety of the cast was related to Kirk Cameron or the director. And there was a couple other families, but were probably also related. Like, just different or members names, of their church. Members of the church. Or, like, very heavily all related. Which, hey, fine, I'm glad you guys had a fun time. But I do not know who this movie is for. Like, I really don't. Because Kirk Cameron is preaching quite a lot. But it's not a documentary-style preachy movie. And it's not really fun. And it's not for adults. Like, I guess it's for adults, but it's not for kids. But It's definitely not for kids. Like, because you wouldn't go into, like, a detailed explanation of the Council of Nicaea for, you know, a 7 to 11-year-old. But they had Creed playing there. I don't know. Yeah. I I feel like it was specifically to convince Christians who think that Christmas has gotten too material that they're wrong and that they should enjoy as many presents as possible. It should be more material. You know what? Actually, in watching this movie, it feels like it was made exactly to play during one of those alternative church services where they'll show a bit of a something and then you stop and you talk about it. And then you show a bit of a, of the thing again, like the next part of it, and then you stop and talk about it. Like it feels mm-hmm. like this whole movie was made because each of those segments, like each of the arguments was well contained. You could stop the movie and then you can kind of finish it and watch them have fun a little bit or something like that. Like it feels like that's how they set it up. Could be. I had a terrible idea that this movie is some family's Christmas tradition <laughs> where they all sit down and get excited about watching Saving Christmas every year. Oh, there's so many better movies. Like Elf. But, oh, that's so sad. This is not a good way, regardless of your beliefs, this is not a good way to spend time together on Christmas. I mean, open some of your material gifts early. That's a way better (laughs) way of spending your day together than watching this movie. Please do not watch this movie. (laughs) I had to, so you don't. Okay, I I feel like nobody else shares my opinion, but I actually really enjoyed the music in this movie. (laughs) I did too. It was a lot of, like, upbeat Christmas songs, and I love Christmas songs. There was some really good steel guitar. We have Christmas songs on in the truck already, and I love it. I hate it. (laughs) Yeah, we've we've got Ella playing all the time. Yeah, we've had, well, at my work, we've had Christmas music playing since last week, all day, yeah. But they were like, a lot of them sounded like something that our wonderful music producer, Ian James, would come up with for our theme song, which, <laughs> thank you, Ian, for producing our wonderful theme song again this year, a new and exciting version of A Christmas Carol. <laughs> yeah. Ian, did you do the music for this movie? <laughs> <laughs> did they pay a lot? No. Did, no extreme the music. Is, did they pay you? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I've got a feeling that, like, two people may bank on this. The director and Kirk Cameron. So, final thoughts? I think Laura summed it up. Do not watch this movie. <laughs> yes. And for the love of God, do not pay for this movie if you so choose to watch it. Thanks for joining me, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I'm not are... thanking you for this, but I'm glad that I joined you. <laughs> Thank our fan who suggested this Hey, whoever you are. <laughs> <laughs> What are we talking about next month, Jim? So for our January show, we're going to talk about conspiracy theories again. We're each going to pick a conspiracy theory, maybe a lesser known one, maybe a more widely held one, and give a little primer and discuss. Should be fun. See you next month. Happy holidays, everyone. Cheerio. Bye. Bye. Life, the Universe, and Everything Else is produced by Ashlyn Noble and Jem Newman. If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is with a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, or by sharing an episode with a friend. Original music is produced by Ian James, and this episode was edited by Lauren Bailey.
elsewhere in the house, a Muppets Christmas Carol was playing, and I was really jealous of the children. We all were. <laughs> Except for me. Well, you're a horrible person who hates fun, and you deserve Kirk Cameron. Ouch. <laughs> Two people made bank on this, and they were making out in a truck. <laughs> We will not let that one go. And she gets to edit this, so she can leave in as much of it as she wants. <laughs> the whole episode is, and they were making out in the truck. That's it. That's all it is. Ten and seconds. And it's going to splice to Laura saying, watch this movie. Dude's making out in a truck. <laughs> <laughs> she can do anything she wants. She has the power.